You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 624 of the Locked On Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland, coming to you live on a Thursday evening in September. Uh, you know, two and a half weeks to Media Day. We're counting down and uh, joining me for, I guess, part two of a five-part extended series is the great Jeff Siegel. What's up, man? I'm doing well. Uh, things are things are good. It's still off-season time, but I'm uh, we're, we're rapidly running out of days to get things done between now and uh, and the start of the season. Yeah, we're ramping up. Uh, you know, Peace Through Hoops, we ran a 10-part roundtable series to kind of get us through the dead period. You know, top 100s are out. Uh, there was a actually a really, really good piece that I enjoyed editing and reading from uh, Andrew Kelly, sort of the debut from him on Peace Through Hoops earlier today, um, comparing the Hawks to the Rockets instead of the Warriors, which I thought was interesting um, and worth a read. Do, do not just see the headline and ignore that piece. Please read it and click on it and do all that fun stuff. I enjoyed that one. But yeah, we're, we're counting down. It's almost, you know, player preview season. That's what kind of what we're doing here today if you missed it last week we're not going to do these in like rapid succession between jeff and i but last week we talked about the center position so alex len bruno fernando damian jones a little bit of ray spalding on that podcast so if you if you if you want to go back and listen to that one i definitely would encourage you to do so but our uh, our task today is the power forward spot. Uh, we talked about this a lot on the last podcast. I don't want to do the full intro again, but I don't love traditional positions. Here it is, Jeff. We talk about this stuff kind of fluidly, but to break it up break it up into five parts, it was the easiest way to do that. So today, the um, the podcast is going to include thoughts on Marcus Derrickson uh, very briefly in a second, who's an Exhibit Ten uh, training camp invite of the Hawks. Then Vince Carter, Jabari Parker, and we'll end with John Collins. So, um, I guess Jeff. Overall, before we dig into the players, power forward is an obvious strength for this team because John Collins is either the best or second best player on this team, depending on who you ask. Um, but it's it's kind of weird in that you also have some flexibility at the position because I think it's very, very possible that we could see other guys play the four. And by other guys, I mean DeAndre Hunter. I mean, maybe even Cam Reddish. I doubt that, but maybe um, Chandler Parsons could play here a little bit. Even Evan Turner could play here a little bit. There are lots of different options. I don't think that any of the centers will play power forward. I guess maybe if you wanted to do an Alex Lynn, Bruno Fernando um, duo, you could maybe do that. I would not recommend it, but they could maybe try that. But there could be seven, eight guys that play power forward this year. Um, so is that... And I know it's kind of weird to talk about in a uh, positional way, but what do you what do you make of the position overall? Because it's certainly not the worst position the Hawks have. Yeah, certainly. I mean, it's it's they've got a lot of different guys. How you define what a power forward is is also going to be a big part of like who can play power forward. Because like guys, if you define it sort of the way I define it, like guys who can guard that position or guys you would put there put out there to guard that position. Like you could, you, you, you could really expand this out to, you know, guys like Hunter and Turner in particular is going to play a lot of power forward defensively. Uh, but, you know, obviously offensively, like they talk about him as the backup point guard. So, you know, there's that part of it. And, you know, I think that, you know, the, the, the four guys that we've picked to talk about today as sort of the, the core power forwards makes the most, make, you know, make the most sense for guys who are absolutely pretty much going to play just power forward. We'll talk about John Collins playing center, you know, and maybe a little bit of Jabari at the three with Turner. If Turner's the four, depending on how you define that, you know, in terms of whether it's defensively or offensively. So, you know, there's a, a little bit of fluctuation there, but in terms of the guys who are definitely going to play power forward, these are the sort of the four guys, you know, three guys really. And then Derrickson is, is just in preseason. Yeah, let's talk about Derrickson now, get that out of the way a little bit. Um, you know, in contrast a little bit to Ray Spalding, I think you and I have talked enough offline to know that I think Derrickson has very, very unlikely chances of making this roster. You know, Spalding is probably unlikely too, but he is more likely, in my opinion, than Derrickson is going to be. Just for some background, Derrickson is a 23-year-old um, power forward from Georgetown. Um, does have some quick NBA experience under his belt. Uh, more of a floor spacer than anything else. He was definitely known as a, you know, sort of a floor spacing four at the college level. And when I watched him a little bit at Georgetown, he was never like a big-time prospect at Georgetown, but someone who, you know, would not embarrass himself on an NBA court, but I don't 
I don't think there's a ton of upside. And because of the logjam we kind of just discussed, there are so many options here that I'd be I'd be fairly stunned if he made this team. Um, but anything that you wanted to add on Marcus Derrickson? Because I know you know Exhibit Ten contract basically just means that he's going to be at, in training camp, and anything beyond that will be uh, gravy for him. And I, I expect him to probably be in College Park this year. So if you want to uh, become familiarized with the College Park product this this season, you'll probably see Marcus Derrickson there. I would I would imagine. But for me, that's kind of it. I I just can't imagine him making the team. Yeah, I mean, it seems because, you know, we've already talked about sort of the log jam at power forward. You know, he could probably play the three a little bit. He's, you know, he's strong, you know, six seven two forty nine. I think is where he's listed. So, like, he's, you know, he's a big dude, um, can play, you know, can swing between the three and the four, can shoot the ball, shot the ball really well in the G League last year, shot the ball, you know, at a, at a decent in terms of, like, volume as well, got him up there at, you know, like six attempts per 36 minutes. But almost all of that was, like, standstill. You know, I watched some of his film when they when they uh, signed him, and he's just basically like a standstill shooter. Like, he doesn't have a whole lot of pick and pop to his game, which is a big part of sort of what the Hawks like to do offensively with their big guys, you know, that in that, you know, assuming that they sort of bring back that that Trey Young, John Collins, double drag set with, uh, you know, pretty much everybody on the, on the court was running as part of that. He's not much of a pick and pop shooter, just doesn't quite have that that footwork that he needs to have to uh, – to sort of get that done. So if he's more of a standstill guy at the four that, you know, it, it you know, tampers down his value uh, quite a bit on offense, doesn't have a whole lot else to his game. They threw the ball into him in the post more often than you would expect that he'll ever get in the NBA. Like he probably posted up more in one year in the G league in Santa Cruz than he will in his entire NBA career. So, you know, it's, that was, you know, you take that with a grain of salt, not much of a ball handler had a pretty decent size turnover rate out of the post in, in his, you know, 188 possessions or whatever it was in the, uh, in the G league. So he's really just a shooter has the size, you know, might have some, you know, upside athletically to be a defender at the three and the four. That's why he, you know, got the two-way uh, shout with the uh, with the Warriors last year, why he's on this Exhibit 10 and why the, the Hawks identified him and want to keep him around is because of that sort of forward size 3 and D. If he ever put it together, you know, that, that sort of upside is obviously incredibly valuable, even if he's just a standstill shooter. You know, if he's a 42% standstill shooter like he was in the G League last year, that's obviously incredibly valuable. And then if he adds, you know, if he were to add above above average defense to the mix at, you know, 6'7", 250, that's a really intriguing player, you know, because, you know, I don't expect much out of him. But there's there is something there just from the sort of just from the view of this is this is the the kind of guy that you want on your team this is the kind of archetype that this that you would want on uh, on any team yeah I, I think it makes a lot of sense to go ahead and bring him to bring him to camp it's not really a situation where it'll be his fault if he doesn't make this team I think if he was on an NBA roster this year it wouldn't be terribly weird to me you can just I, I mean the case you sort of laid out kind of is what it is you know the shooting and some hybrid forward appeal I think he's more of a four that's fairly clear I think but you know maybe if he plays the three a little bit that might make some sense I think this is not the roster for that player to be um, showcased on right now so I think again as we said on the last podcast I think Spalding is uh, pretty much the clear leader if they were to keep somebody that's on a camp invite contract um, to make the team so we can kind of leave it there. I think Derrickson's interesting, and we'll probably see him some in the preseason. And then maybe if he pops, he'll have a chance to make the team. But I would I would bet against it. But uh, that's not that's not because of anything that he will have done wrong. It's just a situation where there just is not a clear path to him having a role on this team. Um, the other guy I want to touch on before we get to a break is uh, is Vince Carter, who. You know, we talked. Of, I know you, you and I talked on this podcast and offline and in written form a number of times. There was there was the will they or won't they with Carter and the Hawks for more than a month. He didn't sign until August. Um, my, you know, I would say informed speculation. Uh, this is not something that I could report as gospel. My informed speculation is that Vince. Um, didn't necessarily love the idea of coming back to Atlanta just because of the situation um, with the roster. I think Vince wants to play. That happened last year. Vince, I think that's one of the reasons why he came to Atlanta was to actually get playing time. He played more than we thought he was going to play a year ago based on injuries and the way that he was actually able to play pretty well. Um, but this time around, there are just so many more bodies in front of him um, between Jabari Parker, who they clearly, who they clearly invested in, and also just the presence of the two you know the two lottery picks who are you know sort of hybrid three four guys at least in the case of Hunter and probably Reddish too. Um, there's not a ton of minutes um, projected for Vince. 
That said, it's one injury. If if Jabari goes down and Jabari's gone gone down a lot in his career, suddenly Vince might be your backup power forward and play a lot again. So there's that situation. I, I think that's probably why it took a little bit of time. But at, in the end, I'm not sure the market was really there for Vince to sign anywhere and play. I think he is um, someone who was better than you might think last year. I think I know, obviously Hawks fans liked what they saw from him all season long, but I think people nationally might, might, might just think this is this is like the Vince retirement tour. He could still play a little bit, at least he did last year. I never want to assign that to be duplicated for sure this year because of the age. You just can't bank on that too, too much. But if, if he's the same guy that he was last year, he's clearly an NBA player and someone who can certainly help you um, in the future when it comes to the season. Obviously not, not in the distant future, but uh, you know, Role-wise, what what do you see from Vince, and uh, what do you make of Vince now that he uh, is sticking around for yet another season? And it looks like even he's admitted now where he did where he didn't last year. This is this is going to be it. Uh, last year he famously avoided that question. Um, you know, it became comical to the point where we, we, we made fun of it quite a few times. That Vince never said he was going to retire, and everyone made a big made a big deal of it all season long. This time around, he's gonna. This is going to be it. So, um, with that said, what's he going to look like this year, and how much is he going to play? I mean, it depends on like what Lloyd Pierce is sort of looking for, what the the organization is sort of looking for, because like, and I think we'll we'll get to this in the Jabari section, but like Vince Carter's a better player than Jabari Parker, like right now for that, this that, team. That for is this a Hawks team. I'm sure. Before we get too deep into this, I, I'm sure people are throwing their phones out the window right now because uh, people like Jabari Parker. Um, I'm not sure you're wrong. I just for to be candid, Jeff is lower on Jabari than I am, but. I think that statement might seem blazing hot, and it's actually not. Because if you just took what Vince was able to do last year, assumed that he was going to be able to do it again, and then assumed we got the Jabbar from the last two years, then you're right. Now, obviously, Jabari's upside is quite a bit higher. He's younger, um, clearly more talented at this point in time. But, you know, there's kind of a disconnect that we'll talk about more when we get to Jabari between, like, what he is and what he has been, all that fun stuff. But, Vince, if you're, if you're just trying to win today, that I guess that's the overall balance that we're going to drill down on a little bit here is what's the goal? Because if the entire goal was to win games right now today, Vince would probably be playing in the, in the rotation. Um just, just as he was last year. And last year was because they had nobody else, but he also was fairly good. I, I just don't know why they would do that. I, I think there is some appeal to the age-old question of like how much can someone lead if they're not playing at all. And that was a situation where Vince last year, like he even said that, Lloyd said that a couple of times as well. Like they, they wanted to have Vince play not only because he was helpful to them on the court, but also because, you know, there's a little bit less impact to a guy and leadership in the locker room if you're not if you're not playing. I think Vince would have that leadership either way because Vince is just renowned and beloved in that locker room. But it's a little bit different when you're actually on the court with a guy versus when you're not on the court at all. And I think there's a scenario this year where Vince is just not playing. I'm not projecting that, but if Jabari is good or if Jabari is just healthy and playing, there's a real role where Vince is just, you know, maybe not never playing, but Night in, night out. If, if it's a close game and you're playing a 10, 11 man rotation, I'm not sure he's going to be in it. So that it kind of goes to your point. Like, what's what's the goal here? I'm not really sure, honestly. I know what it, I know what it would be for me, but you know, Pierce loves Vince. The the team loves Vince. So maybe they, maybe they give him the, the benefit of the doubt a little bit more. But at, at, at the expense of who is kind of the other question. Yeah, I mean, and I, I think the the idea that it's hard for him to lead if he's not playing made a lot more sense last year when he was brand new to the team and he didn't know the guys and he went like, especially the, the core, you know, the core three and, and even, you know, further past that for all the guys who were on the team last year and are on the team again this year. Now that he's been a year in that locker room, the best, you know, the three best players on the team will look, will sort of tell the other guys like, no, Vince is one of our guys. Like whether he plays night in or night out or not, he, He's he's the he's the leader of this team, and so you're going to listen to him when Trey and John and Kevin Herter sort of go around to you know Cam and and Bruno and DeAndre and say, hey, no, like we we listen to Vince Carter. That's going to I think that's going to take a take a lot of the 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 concern, the fact that he's not playing. If he's not playing, that concern goes away a little bit just because he's been around for a year. I think he's, that, he's also that Vince certainly Carter. helps. <laughs> That helps. He's, too, he's also like, Vince Carter in capital letters, like maybe a Hall of Famer. So that probably helps too. I don't know. That helps a ton, but I think it also is part. It I think it helps a a, a ton be, that he's 
extraordinary year. The fact that he, if he had walked into the locker room last year and tried to do what he did without being able to back it up on the court, I don't think it would have, certainly would not have worked as well as it did. Uh, but the fact that he's, as a year is dealt with the Hawks, I think it certainly, he does not have to play it in and night out for him to have that same impact that he had last year. I mean, certainly, and I think we it's hard to get into what Vince should do on this team without getting into what Jabari is going to do for this team. And, you know, it's good that they, you know, we're, we're going to talk about both of them here, but... Like, Let, let's just talk about win, what, like, what Vince is as a player, just for just for a second, because I think... Okay. People that, people that watched the Hawks last year, I, I think... Have a decent idea about Vince Carter. You know, nationally, I had I had to correct some people throughout the season um, and just kind of reminding that, that Vince is a power forward at this point. Um, for instance, you know, Vince played some small forward last year because, they, but only after they had you know myriad injuries. There was a point middle of the season where even Pierce acknowledged and Vince acknowledged that he was playing some three because he just had to play some three. Um, that isn't going to happen this year. They have several options at the three. Um, so barring again, barring myriad injuries, once again, I think he's just a pure, but he's a pure power forward, which might seem weird for someone who played shooting guard for a long time, but that's what Vince is. Vince isn't, he's not big and physical necessarily, but he's wily. He's a great shooter. In fact, you know, I argued this last year at times that he was the best shooter on the roster. Um, you know, I, I guess you could probably argue that Kevin Herter is a similar shooter in terms of just knockdown. Obviously he doesn't have the same utility of someone like Trey Young shooting off the dribble, all that fun stuff. But just a standstill catch and shoot three, I think I'd probably pick Vince over anybody on the roster. Vince is that kind of shooter. Vince is an elite shooter at this point in time. 39% last year from three. Um, he and Kevin Herter would be the guys that would be battling for that role, along with Alan Crabb, I suppose. Alan Crabb is also, also a heck of a shooter. Um, but Vince, just the overarching point there is that Vince, that, that's his number one skill at this moment in time, is just his knockdown shooting. But he just does a lot of a lot of everything. Defensively, he was much better than I thought he was going to be. I think you probably agree with that as well. He was competitive. Um, he's not great defensively, just the lack of physicality and size at the power forward spot but he just knows where to be. Vince is a solid, responsible defender. And again, we're assuming that he's going to be able to do it again. You know, he may not be able to. At a certain age, guys just can't do it anymore, and Vince is going to be 43 years old. Um, so that's not going to be shocking if he just can't play anymore. But until we see him not be able to do it, I'm going to assume that he's the same guy as last year, which is basically a solid role player who can really shoot it and just knows where to be and knows what to do on a basketball court. Yeah, and knows what his – and fits – his role incredibly well as a role player. And that's, yep. you know, obviously that's the biggest problem with Jabari Parker is like, he's not a role player. Like he's, he's somebody who has to have the ball in his hands. He's a high usage guy. And so, you know, how that fits with the rest of their team, like he obviously is not going to be a high usage guy when Trey Young's on the floor. So Jabari has to be the high usage guy when Trey Young is not on the floor, but that's when Evan Turner is supposed to be on the floor. And how do you play those two guys together? I know like everything I, everything I have to say about Carter comes back to like how he compares with Jabari. Cause that's sort of the, the fight for the backup power forward spot. And just, it seems Vince's skills as sort of a low usage, but high efficiency three point shooter. And at least like knows what to do on defense. Like Carter's not, overly you know strong he's not overly quick he just has sort of has the old man strength knows where to be knows all the angles you know even dating back to like last november i was in the building in la when he gave he was the crunch time defender on lebron james like, <laughs> that, that, that absolutely happened we watched that happened, and he was good at it it wasn't like they were like oh my god we have nobody to guard lebron like vince just go try like he was fine like he actually did his job and the hawks almost won that game by the you know Trey Young had a chance to win it at the buzzer and Tyson Chandler blocked that floater. But like Vince Carter kept them in that game defensively. Like he did his job against LeBron James, the best player in the world at that point in time before LeBron got injured. And obviously the Lakers season just totally fell apart. The Lakers were good at that point. They were, you know, doing everything, you know, LeBron was LeBron James and Vince Carter went toe to toe with him uh, on the defensive end of the floor. So like Carter's not, I don't think Carter like, across the entire season is like an above average defender but like when you need no. him to defend he is there he, he can be there for you against the right matchups and that's certainly more than you can say for Jabari Parker so you know I think Carter's fit on the second unit and just pretty much just across the, the entire team no matter who he's on the floor with like he just fits so seamlessly well in his role as sort of a you know, combo forward, you know, who can guard, you know, guard his position and hit threes. 
Like, that's what you need from your role players. And so if you're looking at, like, we're trying to win this game right now and Evan Turner is our backup point guard, Vince Carter makes a lot more sense next to Evan Turner than Jabari Parker does. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree with that. Um, just as an overall rule, you know, I'm not the biggest Jabari guy either. We'll get to him more in depth in a minute. I do I do sort of see it a little bit more than you do, but uh, I have the same concerns. Um, so don't get me wrong whatsoever on that. Um, just a couple numbers to throw out there on, on Vince. Last year, he played 1,330 minutes. Um, that would be stunning if you play that much again, um, just to point that out. I mean, it would take a lot of injuries for him to get there. But I wanted to point out that he also had the highest three-point attempt rate on the team. 67.5% of his shots last year were threes. Um, so that that's what he is. He, if, uh, offensively, he is a floor spacer, marksman. I know he had the couple of fun dunks last year, but Vince Carter is like Steve Novak at this point <laughs> in some ways. It's kind of funny, but obviously he has more gravity than that around the rim. Like people are still going to sort of get a little bit of fear when Vince is around the rim, but in general, he is a floater shooter and that's what he is at this point in time. But um, on the flip side of that, and I guess this is definitely a positive thing. He had the lowest turnover rate on the team. So, you know, low usage is part of that, but Vince just takes care of the ball and, again, just kind of does what you're supposed to do. He moves the ball, he's a he's a good passer, he shoots it, and uh, it's just responsible on offense. And the force spacing is a big thing because, you know, this team has a lot of shooting on it in, in some ways, but if they run some lineups, particularly with Evan Turner, as you referenced, as the backup point guard, the shooting can kind of go away in a hurry, particularly if Jabari's not shooting the ball from three, and he's never really—I mean, he's—he's he's done it a couple of times, but in you know in the recent past, it's not been great from him as a, a three-point shooter. And even even at his peak as a shooter, he was making more of them. It wasn't like he was a huge gravity guy from three. So that's kind of the biggest thing when talking about you know Carter's value is the floor spacing. If you if you're going to play DeAndre Bembry or if you're going to play Evan Turner, it helps to have a 40% three-point shooter on the court with them at, at the four. Whereas if you're playing those guys with Jabari, you know, Jabari has some gravity, but not nearly the three-point spacing kind of gravity that Vince does. So it's just kind of interesting in that way. I mean, I don't know. It's all going to come down to priorities. I think we, we sort of danced around that a little bit and talked about it, but if Lloyd Pierce is looking to the future, if this is a future-facing team this year, which I think it still should be. I know people disagree on that a little bit. I got an argument with someone this week about how I, you know, they were saying that 34 wins would be the, would be a massive disappointment. I, I don't agree with that at all. I think that's... Uh, yeah. Yeah. That's okay, a different, different, that's for, for, be... it's a different discussion. But at the same time, sure. like, I just think it's, it's all about expectations. And I think if you look ahead to the future, you probably don't want Vince playing a ton of minutes. But if you want, if you're getting some close games and there is some value to winning and teaching your guys how to win and if if you get down to some crunch time stuff and maybe Collins is playing the five and you look around like who's our best power forward option right now if we're gonna play John at the five who, who do you want to go with you know you could pretty easily argue that it's Vince so it comes down to what Pierce wants to wants to do I I am not sure that I would just blindly go with Vince um, even in that scenario, but it's very easy to argue on behalf of Carter over Parker in that way I just think and we'll discuss this in a second after we break. They invested in Parker more than you and I would have, but they did it. And I think they're going to play him a lot more than Vince. So just to be realistic about it, we're going to see Jabari Parker a lot, I think, on the basketball court. And we'll we'll learn more when we talk to those guys at media day and you know, two and a half weeks from now. But given the contract investment, it will stun me if Jabari is not the primary backup power forward. So that's kind of what we're getting at here. It's like, all right, how much is Vince going to play? Um, <laughs> I, I'm guessing not that much. But, you know, again, one injury or Parker going to the doghouse or whatever has to happen to get Vince in the lineup. Last year, he played more than we thought he was going to play, too. So maybe it'll be a repeat of that. But I would definitely take the under on 1,300 minutes. Would you, would you, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the, the, the path to him realistically playing is through injury or Parker being the Jabari Parker that I think he is versus the Jabari Parker that... You know the Hawks seem to think he is. So yeah, I, think I that's... mean, last year Carter was ninth on the team in minutes at thirteen hundred or so. Um, just for context, Jeremy Lin was tenth. Um, so it was kind of a a pretty clear top eight. Uh, they had eight guys play fifteen hundred minutes or more uh, on last year's team. Vince was ninth, and then and then Jeremy Lin, then then Amari Spellman. Um, I think coming into this year, it will surprise me if Vince is in the top ten in minutes on this roster. Yeah, I could be wrong. I, mean, I think it's it would. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense. That he's not 
he's not if if everybody's healthy he's probably not in the team's like primary rotation yeah i mean I, we can talk it's about really, that, that too to playing minutes might be more around guys being hurt guys resting guys not playing every night stuff like that but uh and certainly in the team's primary rotation i don't think he's he's quite there yeah i, I think opening night um you know pierce played some deep rotations last year we talked about it a lot on the last podcast as well but if he plays 11 guys which i think is pretty normal for lloyd pierce in the regular season uh, we saw that quite a bit last year not not every game but a lot of the time he was playing 11 guys you know number 11 is probably either Bembry or carter um i think yeah. Bembry probably gets the nod before carter does um but you know just looking at the roster the way it is now you would assume it's trey young it's evan turner it's kevin herter it's deandre hunter there's there's some locks obviously you know there's there's collins there's alex land there's a back, there's a backup center and then and then there's jabari and I think Al, I think Alan Crabb would be a lock based on what you need, but I could be wrong about that. Cam Reddish, of course, would be in the mix as well. I just think all those guys are likely to play more minutes than Vince Carter is, and that includes Cam Reddish, um, who's a different discussion because he's a rookie. But um, they have every incentive to play him, even though you know, obviously, right now today, I think Vince Carter would be better on, the, on a basketball court than Cam Reddish would be because just of myriad factors. And we'll talk about Reddish on the next podcast, but. They're still going to lean to the young guys, and they should. That's the way that sh- this this should work. Even um, you know, taking the Jabari signing out of it and the decision out of it. Now that it's done, if you're the Hawks and you've invested two years in this player who you're banking on as sort of a semi upside piece, you have to play him. I mean, even if we, and I know you hated it, and I didn't like it very much either. But now, like you got to play him. There's no way around that. You have to see what you got. I mean, I guess like you have to, you have to. But... I mean, I, I know it's not fun and I know you don't like it as much. I mean, we'll go to a break. Actually, we'll come back and talk about this in a second um, because I, we have plenty to talk about with Jabari Parker before we even get to John Collins, who's the headliner of this podcast. So hold on, everybody. We'll come right back and uh, quick break. And we'll be back after this word from the old sponsors. OK, Jeff, we pivoted in the middle of the conversation because I, I wanted to get to it. And uh, it's time. Uh, Jabari Parker was a signing that neither, neither of us loved. I think you had a little bit more of a visceral reaction to it than I did. Um, but at the same time, I, I did not approve of the contract. I don't want to spend too much time on the contract and on the investment because that, that's just kind of done now. We talked about it at the time. But now that it's done, Jabari Parker's on this roster. And um, I, I think fans still think of him, at least some fans think of him as the number two overall pick that once scored 20, 20 points a game for a season. And I think he's a really talented player. And that's kind of why I think I'm higher on him than you are is that there is talent here, and he's still a pretty young guy. He's 24 years old. There are injuries, but you know the talent level is uh, not really the problem with Jabari Parker. It's sort of a weird game, which is more of the problem, and the defensive end of the floor is a mess. But optimistically, I can paint the picture of Hawks buy low on 24-year-old guy and put him in the best system that he's ever been in because he was not well-coached anywhere he's ever been. Milwaukee, that was the Jason Kidd era. And then he was in Chicago, which was kind of a mess last year. And then Washington, which is, again, kind of a mess last year. So optimistically, you put a very talented guy who was once a top a top three pick and put him on a team that's well-coached in a system that makes sense. And hopefully that coaxes the best out of him. Now, the downside would be that he doesn't appear to fit super well on this roster because he's not a floor spacer and he doesn't defend. And, you know, that's not disqualifying because this is team has a lot of people that don't really defend on it but at the same time you know if your core pieces have defensive questions the last thing you probably want to do is add Jabari Parker to that so the fit was something I didn't really love I guess if you listen to the tea leaves you could you could point out that maybe they want to run the offense a little bit through Jabari in second unit Um, we can discuss that if you'd like to but um a, what are your concerns? Because I know you have several. And and B, how is this supposed to work? And how is it going to work? Which are, I guess, two different questions. I have so many concerns that <laughs> I don't know that we have enough time. I tried to paint to, the picture positively. Just people noticed you that. You did, but. and you did an adequate job of that. Because I just, I, I'm, I, if you were to go through... And it's hard to, for me, especially given what I do, you know, just for and outside of Peachtree Hoops, like it's hard for me to dissociate Jabari Parker from the contract that he is on because like that is the, that's why you would play him is that he's on a contract that if there was no player option would be a nice team friendly contract that you could trade. But the fact that he's got a team option or a player option for 
the second year makes that contract just abhorrently bad. Like it's just <laughs> other than Terry Rozier was, the, I mean, you could make a very strong argument that Jabari Parker's two year, $13 million player option contract was one of the five worst contracts given out by a team this summer. I don't think and I agree like, with that. Just, just to be clear, I, I hated it. I didn't like it. I said that a number of times on this podcast. My argument against that would be that the damage done is not as significant because of the fact that the Hawks have so much flexibility and all that. It's not, you know, the contract on its own, I agree, was was quite bad and the player option didn't make a lot of sense. I would not put it in the uh, in the Rogier class because of the fact that the Hawks are going to have $70 million even with him on the roster next summer and the, the impact of that move. Like, if Jabari flames out, there really isn't going to be a ton of damage done, which would be, that's kind of the only argument that I can possibly muster on behalf of the contract, um, other than just, again, what I said before, like buying low on a talent and hoping that he fits better in the situation than he did elsewhere. And I actually do believe in that argument a little bit. Um, but, you know, the, the disaster potential is just not very high. Like, if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. If it gets hurt again, it doesn't work. You know, it, there's no real harm done. I mean, it's $7 million next year. That That's not great to be spending on that money if you don't want that guy in your roster anymore. But it's $7 million on a cap of, you know, nine figures. And it's not that big of a problem. Um, but we agree on the deal in general. I think you hated it more, but I, I didn't. I didn't care for it, obviously. Yeah, I mean, I just, the value is so limited because... And, and the, the upside is there because he's 24 and like he has the talent to be useful and to be a good role player and to outplay that contract. But if he outplays the contract, then you only get one year out of him and then he leaves and you opts out and either you've got to you know pay to keep him, which I don't you know, I wouldn't expect that they would unless he really popped or he, he walks away. Either way, you're not getting value out of the contract that you signed in, in the summer of 2019. So like. That's that's the biggest thing with the option. It's not the money and it's not the years. I would have given him two years, $20 million. No problem. $10 million a year, but lock him in for the two years. That way, if he pops, then you actually have some, you know, an actual contract that you can trade that makes sense that another team might actually want. Because if he's really good and, and, you know, and he puts it together and all of a sudden he's a useful guy by February – then you then a team that trades for him has that that the rest of that season and a playoff run and then the entire next season. But if he pops, then you you're just trading him trading for him just for that playoff run because he's you know he's probably going to opt out if he's if he's playing well enough. And so and then of course if he's playing poorly, then he's going to opt in and you you lose that 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 value as well because you know you you can't trade a guy if he's terrible and uh, on that six and a half million dollars it's not you can trade him but it's not you're not going to get positive value for jabari parker if he's really bad on six and a half million dollars that's not gonna that's just not gonna happen if and then like you said of course they've got a ton of money to spend next year there's not a lot of great free agents out there they're going to be sort of a contract dumping ground anyway next summer i would imagine so if you had him on two years, twenty million, that extra three and a half million that you would have paid him over this year's over over the option on this current contract, that's not that big a deal either. Like I, I don't think that that if that if it were possible that they could have gotten him, you know, two for twenty with no option, that would have been much 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 better than what they did. There's just there's so little upside to giving a, a player a second year player option because they either outplay it and leave or they underplay it and opt in and either way you there's so little there's such a small middle ground where he's just good enough to where yeah, i mean he's it, he's a positive value and he's just bad enough to where he thinks he can't get more and he opts in and it's just there's such a small gap there where they're trying to they're trying to middle and it just it's just so difficult to do that and I mean, on top of the fact that, like, he doesn't fit on this team and he's not very good and, like, it's just... Yeah, we'll come back to that in a second. I, I do want to back you up because I totally agree. I, I think that's the nuance here that, you know, a lot of fans don't care and don't need to understand necessarily about this. But just it's as simple as what you just said. If Jabari Parker blows up and plays really well, he's going to leave. Or he's going to opt out and you're going to have to pay him a lot of money. Those are the two options. Um, if he's bad... He's going to opt in, which is what you do not want him to do. So the player option, people want to minimize it. And I, I get it to a certain extent because of what I, the argument that I made a, min, a minute ago is that the damage done is not that significant. I, I totally understand that. With that said, the upside, people want to point to the upside of Jerry Parker. It doesn't really there on this contract because if he plays well this year, yeah, he's on your team this year, 
but then he's going to opt out. And what do you have to show for your investment? You, you, you helped his career and that, that's a good thing. And maybe he helped you on the court this year, but he's helping you on the court this year on a team that's not going to win anything. Like maybe even, even if they're better than we expect, they might be the eight seed in the East. They're not going to win anything this year and then he's going to leave. So the contract itself just, it didn't ever make sense to me. If you're, if you're doing what I said that I would hope that they were trying to do, which is buy low on a talented player in a good situation, you would want that control beyond one season. And you instead have the opposite of that. You have no control because he's going to leave if he plays well and opt in if he plays well, if, if he uh, does not play well. So that's the contract part of it. I, I agree. We agree with this uh, wholeheartedly. Um, let's talk about the player real quickly because that's more of what this podcast is supposed to be. And I, I don't, I, it's kind of what we always talk about. Um, contract stuff is important. But, you know, I sort of alluded to it earlier, you know, lack of floor spacing to a certain degree needs the ball, not a great passer, defensive question marks. You, you say you... You don't think Jabari is very good. People are gonna people are gonna recoil at that. So I want you to explain it as as calmly and as I guess plainly as possible, like why you think Jabari is not a good player. Now, is it is it a situation where he can't be a good player, or a situation where he was not a good player last season or previous to that? Like, give me your just purely on the court Jabari Parker evaluation, and we'll try to figure out why it differs so much from. Hawks fans and I think even consensus fans because people just like scoring and that's what that's the one thing that he's actually done well in his career is score yeah and that's great like he can really get the put the ball in the basket it's not necessarily super efficient like he's been above average efficiency once in his five-year career now so like that's not great like if you're if your entire skill set is that you get buckets and you don't get buckets at like an above average efficiency and you can't do anything else. Like, how is that a good player? Like that, you know, I mean, what is, what is he? I don't think he brings enough to the table. He, he's slightly intriguing as a passer, just a little bit. Like he can, you can run a somewhat of an offense through him and he can distribute the ball. His turnover rate was abysmal last year, but like, he, it hasn't been as bad in previous seasons. Yeah, when he last also... year I kind of want to throw out a little bit. I mean, I know, I know it was bad, um, and it was bad, but he had just missed most of the previous last. I, I think I'm, I'm inclined to not worry about last season very much. Now, I also think that he was overrated before that, but if you take out last season, things look better. And, you know, maybe not ignore last season entirely, but I don't put as much weight on the most recent sample size as I, as I would for a lot of players because he was on two different teams. Chicago never made sense. That was a weird contract and a weird situation. I just think, you know, he was bad last year, and I'm with you 100% on that. Um, but I think the theory of him really is the is, is that you're getting the Milwaukee version. Um, and maybe not the maybe not the prime Milwaukee version. I, I mean, one season, Jabari averaged 20 points a game for 50, like, what, 50 games, something like that. Like, he was a legitimate... You know, maybe not an all-star consideration guy, but like on the fringes of that with the way he played in 1617, because he he averaged 20 points, six rebounds a game on good efficiency for 50, 51 games, then he got then he got hurt again. Um, but that was when people were like, "All right, it's happening for Jabari Parker." Um, I, I would argue that he still wasn't as good as people thought he was at that point in time because the efficiency was just solid, not great, and you know the passing was good and things you were saying, but defensively he was so bad that it, it hurt me um, to watch him. But if you throw out last season. Again, the argument that I, I think is what the Hawks are doing, I think, and this is somewhat on me reading between the lines and somewhat on stuff I've heard, is that they think he might be able to run their second unit. And that's, you know, pairing him with Evan Turner is really weird. Like, it, it just is. I, I know that it, it just seems to be conflicting to me. And do you agree with this? I, I don't really th- understand the thought process between we're A, we're going to have Evan Turner be our backup point guard, and B, Jabari Parker's going to run our second unit offense. Like, which one is it? Because... If Parker has the ball in his hands, Turner is useless or close to it offensively. Or and if Turner has the ball in his hands, Parker becomes like a secondary floor spot. I don't know. It's it's a really weird fit. I guess if you want to be switchable and maybe hide Jabari on defense a little bit, that would be the thinking around that. But offensively, I'm not sure how that works. I mean, I guess Trey and Jabari would be, would be fun offensively potentially, but then you get in a situation where can Jabari Parker and John Collins play together? I, I don't know. I mean, defensively, you would have to really, really bank on John Collins, which we're going to get to him in a second, and I think I'm expecting him to, to improve. But him being a defensive anchor at center is different than him improving at the four. And Jabari's bad, man. I mean, h- how bad of a defender is Jabari Parker? That's that's probably an important question to tackle because I think he's, like, really bad. 
maybe he doesn't have to be really bad forever, but what we've seen in, in the NBA, he's been pretty atrocious with very few exceptions. Yeah, I mean, if you if you were just looking at Parker's, particularly because he plays a big man position, and this is a, a conversation that we will get into and have gotten into in the past with John Collins, is that Jabari's impact defensively at one of the big man positions at the four at you know even at the three when he was playing the three a little bit, but you know particularly at the four, it's such it's so much more important for you to be good defensively at the four than it is at like the two or the one that his defensive deficiencies are just so much more impactful to his team and and the fact that he's never been on a team he's never been on a team that was even slightly near average when he was on the court defensively is like, that's a major problem. And, you know, it just, that's, those are the sorts of things that you look at with him and go, what is, what is his role on this team with the starting unit? What is his role on this team with the backup unit? Where is he like, what are they, what kind of value are they getting out of him long-term on that contract? Of course, is another thing. Like there's just, there's so many Questions that don't have answers <laughs> that that are that make sense for what we know Jabari to be over the last five years. And even the year that he was good, and he was good in 2016-17, Milwaukee was good with him on the floor. Again, only offensively. Defensively, they were still a train wreck when he was on the floor. And they were much better when he was off the floor. So it wasn't like they were just a train wreck defensively. Like they were good when he was off the floor and they were just terrible when he was out there. And like, that's not the end all be all, especially for a guy who's not like a, a defensive anchor. Like, no, he's, I mean, he's, not the, he's, he's bad. Not the I mean, that's the thing. Like, honestly, this is not a stat only evaluation from us. This is not something that we're just out on a limb on. I think the one thing that, you, that everyone kind of agrees on with Jabari, honestly, even, you know, skeptics, people that like him a lot, everyone kind of agrees he's, Everyone kind of agrees that he's terrible on defense. Like it's not really up for debate, frankly. Like I, I suppose he could, he could, he could, he could improve. He's still fairly young, and again, I give him a little bit of slack because of how badly he was coached in Milwaukee. You know, Jason Kidd was terrible, and that can't be overstated. Um, the system didn't make sense, all that stuff. But Jamar was also a terrible defender in college. Like he was never supposed to be a good defender, and it was even worse than I probably thought it was going to be. So. Even if you project improvement, and I think I probably would project a little bit of improvement in this system being coached by a competent, a competent coaching staff, you're still talking about a bad defender at a position where you can't afford a bad defender, um, and that that's that's a tough sell. And you know, again, it's a situation where, to your point about roles, I'm not sure. Like people picking Jabari Parker to win like six man of the year and stuff like that. Even people, even people on our staff who I think are smart, are picking Jabari Parker to like when most improved or something like that. It's like, I'm not sure what the role could possibly be for Parker to play enough to make that kind of impact. Because I guess if you generously want to believe that John Collins is going to play a lot of time at center, like a significant amount of time at center, then maybe Jabbar gets to 23 minutes a game, 24 minutes a game. That sounds like a lot to me. Um, I guess if he's good, you want to play him more. But, you know, if you pencil in John Collins for 32, 33, 34 minutes a game, something like that in that range, at least 24 of those are going to be a power forward, aren't they? Like, I can't imagine a situation if they're... I mean, I, would, I wouldn't hate Collins playing more center. I've been saying that forever. But we haven't seen them play him at center for more than six, seven minutes a game. So once that, and once that, once that really changes, and then you give all the backup power forward minutes to Parker, which could happen, but... I mean, what's the role? I don't, I don't, I don't understand what the role is either. There's, there's all these things about the way he can make an impact offensively, how bad his defense is, but then there's also role, and for as much love as John Collins certainly has earned and, and should be getting, if he's your power forward, and I think most people think that he is the power forward on this team, almost exclusively, you know, I think people have kind of declared victory on him as a power forward over a center. If, if you believe that, and most people do, around this team, what's Parker supposed to do? Because he, he can't play the three. Sorry to break it to everybody. Like, I, I think when he was drafted, maybe there was a slight hope he'd be able to play the three because he was more athletic back then. But we're now, we're, we're now two ACL injuries later and some more pounds. And, like, he can't defend the three. Like, he can't play the three. So I, I'm, I'm kind of at a loss. Because if he can't play the three and John Collins is your 26-minute-a-game power forward, what's the role supposed to be? So yeah, I guess that's that's the biggest thing with me is the, is the role is that how is 
if you wanted Jabari Parker to be your offensive hub on the second unit, that's not ideal, but it's fine. Like you can make that work. But the fact that Evan Turner is also on this team and they have talked him up as the backup point guard, that's where the fit just sort of falls out, you know, falls out the window to me. And of course, if Trey Young's on the floor, then Jabari's not your offensive hub at all. Trey Young's your offensive hub. And that's much, much better, obviously for you. So like what the, the role is the biggest thing. And that's why the whole thing just doesn't make a ton of sense. Like when it happened initially, it was like, you already have Evan Turner, who is your sort of offensive hub on the second unit who can pass, who doesn't space the floor, who needs the ball in his hands in order to, to be effective. That's what Jabari does. Jabari is a better scorer than Evan Turner, but a worse passer. And then of course the, the defensive golf is just enormous between the two. And, you know, Turner (laughs) is legitimately like a very good defensive player. And and Parker is legitimately a very bad defensive player. So if you needed one of those guys to be on your, on the floor as an offensive hub, and they're rough to me, at least they're roughly equal in that regard. I mean, Jabari can, can score for himself, but is not, isn't, is a better passer than he used to be, but is still turnover prone is not like good in that regard. Turner is not as much of a scorer, but is a much better passer than than Jabari is. But of course, the the defensive gulf is where that is is a big deal, and that's where Turner's defensive ability becomes such a, uh, such an asset for them. And then playing the two of them together when neither one is really all that much of a floor spacer, both of them really need the ball in their hands. Where do that's that's also a big part of this is like where does where does one go when the other has the ball? And that's, you know, going to be a a big problem. The fact that neither one of them is a center as well. So they're going to have a true center with them on the floor. Like even if that's John Collins, like that's, you know, Collins is an improving shooter, but he's not like a a massive floor spacer or anything like that. So, you know, that's, uh, you know, going to be a big concern for me as well. So, you know, if they're on the floor with Damian Jones or Bruno Fernando or Alex Len, that's just more guys who are not spacing the floor. Like Alex Len, again, can shoot, but does not have the spacing gravity that you need in an offense like that, where you need, you don't necessarily need Alex Len to shoot really well. You don't need Jabari Parker to shoot very well. You need these guys, you need the defense to think that they're going to shoot very well and to go out there and guard them so that there's space for everybody else. That's the most important thing that a shooter brings to the table is not the fact that they shoot 35 or 40 or 44% from three. It's really that the defense has to stand out there right next to them and guard them. And that creates space for everybody else because that creates space on every single possession, possession in possession out, you know, Joe Harris, JJ Reddick, Kyle Korver, those guys are high end offensive players whether they touch the ball or not and so when you have guys like Evan Turner Jabari Parker and Bruno Fernando or Damian Jones on the floor all together on the backup unit there is no there's no space for anything like there is just you're not going to have a an iota of space to do anything else and so how does that affect you know how does that affect everybody else on the floor how does that affect the development of like Cam Reddish and Kevin Herter how does having those guys on the team affect Kevin Herter's development as more of a primary playmaker, primary ball handler. When, when Trey Young's off the floor, that's something that I've wanted them to do with, with Herter for a long time. That's what I thought when Jeremy Lin was bought out, like, okay, they can bring up Jalen Adams, but like put the ball in Kevin Herter's hands. They did it a little bit, but not nearly as much as I wanted them to. And so that's what I would have liked to do. Like if you were going to go weird with your backup point guard spot, like go with Kevin Herter. Like he's more of a backup. He's more of a secondary playmaker of the future than Turner or Parker is. So like go a little bit more in that direction. And if they want to do that, that's fine. But then Turner and Parker are going to be on the floor screwing things up for, for Herter spacing. So it's just like, I just don't, I don't get Jabari Parker on this particular team. I think there are teams where he would help. I mean, we just saw today, as we're recording this, like Joe Johnson got signed by the Detroit Pistons. Jabari Parker would make a lot of sense on the Detroit Pistons. Like, that's the role that makes a little bit of sense, is like score first guy off the bench who can just lift a second unit to a decently respectable offensive Basically, whenever Blake's off the court, like, all right, Jabari, go do your thing. Yeah, Um, like, do exactly whatever it is that you want to do with the ball in your hands. You are going to have the ball, just go. And like, if they want to do that, if the Hawks want to do that, that's also fine. But then 
you're not setting him up for success with Evan Turner also yeah, being out they there. Have, like, they have the wrong, honestly, you know, and this is probably more of a, more of a wormhole that we needed to go down, but I'm actually thinking it's pretty interesting. Um, you know, if they had done the same Jabari Parker contract, we wouldn't have liked the contract, but if they'd done it without Evan Turner, if they had, if they had a typical backup point guard on this roster, you would like it more, wouldn't you? Absolutely. If they had had, I mean, it, it, who like what kind of like regular backup? Like just, a regular I mean, pick anybody. Players. It doesn't matter. Tim Frazier it could be anybody. Sure. Yeah. Tim Frazier, Langston Galloway, like whatever sure. you wanted to do with the backup Ra- point guard. Random spot. point guard size player that can shoot a little bit. That can not, shoot a little bit. Not and does not <laughs> absolutely have to, like is not so good as a playmaker that he would be better than Parker. But like just a regular run of the mill backup point guard, Shelvin Mack, like just people who Jeremy you know, Lin. Jeremy I mean, Lin. Well, maybe. Um, I think I would rather put the ball in Jeremy Lin's Yeah, probably, but you know what I mean? Like, I'm talking about Jeremy, Jeremy Lin now, like, who wasn't great last yeah. year, all that stuff. It doesn't matter. I'm just trying, trying to name somebody that's a recent Hawk, but I probably, did, probably didn't need to do that. But, you know, just think of a random backup point guard. And Evan Turner is, like, a, a very out-of-the-box choice, and I don't hate that. I don't like it anyway. But, you know, having having Turner, and this is what we talked about this a number of times, we'll talk about it again on the Point Guard Podcast, but... Tying yourself to Evan Turner as the backup point guard in capital letters and having that be his his announced role, his primary role, is a choice that they didn't have to make, number one. And number two, it just makes you have to do some other stuff on your roster that you don't need to be doing. Like you don't you don't need to build around Evan Turner, but if you have Evan Turner, you have to do that. It's just kind of strange. And that's why people, I think nationally, it's been a bigger deal than what we've, other than I think me and you, um, most most people locally haven't, it was like, oh, that's kind of weird. And they kind of moved on. Whereas like people that cover the league, every time it comes up with the Hawks, and I'm talking about somebody, talking to the Hawks about, uh, with somebody else from, from like the national media, they're like, by the way, what's the deal with, with Evan Turner? I'm like, I don't know. What are you asking me for? Like, it's just that everyone's kind of baffled by it. It's not like, it doesn't change their fortunes long term. I get all that, but this is just another small thing to where doing both of these things, having Turner's back at point guard and then having Parker as Parker just makes it it's weird. And we're, we're we're talking about it too much on this podcast, which I will definitely admit to. But just the way that it all fits, I have real questions about. Um we've we've gone too long here. I have to ask you quickly for a couple of over/unders on Jabari Parker. Are you ready for this? Sure. You seem so excited, Jeff. Um, I just love talking about Jabari Parker. This is the last thing. We're going to move on to John Collins. I mean, I actually do – like, he's the most – he's one of the more interesting parts of the team. Like, obviously, the young guys are really interesting. But, like, how they – From an NBA nerd perspective, like you and I have. And, like, I guess to to just piggyback on on the last point that you were sort of making there is, like – if they had done the Evan Turner thing and they, when they did the Evan Turner thing, like it wasn't ideal because like they didn't get the extra pick for baseball and like all of this little things. But like in terms of just like on the court, it's like, okay, Evan Turner is going to be our second unit point guard, basically our second unit offensive engine. And it was like, all right, like that's not great, but like, it's fine. It's no big deal. And if they had done, if they hadn't done that and they were like, okay, we're going to sign Jabari Parker to the, the same contract he got, but whatever the contract is, we're going to sign him to be our second unit offensive hub. I would have had pretty much the similar reaction. Like they had the similar offensive value to me. Like Turner's a better passer, but Parker's a better scorer, and it's and and they're both like you know I think Parker's probably a better three point shooter, but Turner does a little bit more sort of extra stuff offensively. Like he's a better cutter, he's a better offensive rebounder, stuff like that. Um, if they had done the Parker thing and said like okay Parker's going to be our second unit offensive hub, I would have been like okay that's not great, but again that's fine. Turner same thing when they did that it was like this isn't fantastic, but again it's fine for a team that's not going anywhere anyway what are you doing putting both of those guys together? <laughs> what, and we're back. What, uh, I'm, no, I'm with you. I'm do, with you on this. Point of that. And you can't put those guys on the fl- It's not like these guys are you, off, secondary offensive engines who can also do other things on that end of the floor. So if you put those guys on the floor, if the point of having both of them is like, well, we can play one or the other, it's like, okay, but then is the other one just not playing or are they playing with the starters and like Trey young and stuff because they can't play with Trey young cause they can't shoot. No, so- I mean the, the only, I, I do think, um, and this is part of what I've been, what I'm about to ask you about is over unders. Um, quickly. I do think that I, I think that, well, at least I, I assume 
that the Hawks believe that Jabari can play with their starters at some point. Now, you and I don't necessarily agree with that, that's but not, you, you don't give them that contract. Just, if you, you can't give them that contract if you don't believe that. that like, that'd be where what, I am with it. <laughs> like, Why would you want to play with – like, why would you want him to play with the starters? No, it's more – I mean, I, I think maybe – again, this is me assuming now. I'm jumping into informed to not informed. But I, you can't give that contract out if you think that he can't play with your starters at all. So I mean, maybe they, maybe they believe that Collins can play center and he can play Parker with him. Like if you but, wanted to, if you wanted to go to Parker as the backup offensive engine, like that would be fine. And if you wanted to play Turner as the center, quote unquote, in their double drag system, where like let's say Evan Turner is playing the four and Alex Len is playing the five, and like Evan Turner is in for John Collins, you have Trey Young, Kevin Herter. DeAndre Hunter, Alex Len, and Evan Turner. Like that's the four, that's the five guys on the floor. If Turner is the role man in that situation, they're running that same double drag that they ran all of last year with Trey Young coming across from left to right. Alex Len is setting one screen, Evan Turner is setting the other. Alex Len pops to the three-point line, and Evan Turner is the guy who rolls to the rim. He is playing the John Collins role of rolling to the rim every time, but instead of obviously rolling to the rim for a dunk, he's rolling to like the free-throw line to be a passer in that situation. That makes a lot of sense. If you're doing that with Jabari Parker, he's not a good enough passer and not a good enough decision-maker to play in that role. So like, that's like if you if you sign him to that contract to play him with the starters, like what are you what is his role other than like are you gonna give him the ball and tell Trey Young like run around without the ball and try to get open? That would be actually kind of interesting. Like that makes a little bit of sense to me, is like if you wanted to go in that route and be like, Okay, Jabari, you're gonna be so you're gonna be at the elbow, you're gonna be in the post, we're gonna try to get you the ball. And your first option is to pass back to Trey Young or Kevin Herter. But if that doesn't work, at least you can score. That makes a little bit of sense. That would be a way to force the ball out of Trey Young's hands and force him to run around a little bit and work on his off the ball game. He needs to work on that. He needs to work on giving up the ball and not immediately running to where he gave up the ball and trying to get it back. That would be great for Trey. I think that would be a, a good use of either Parker or Turner. But again, like in that role, Turner's going to be better because he's a better passer. He's not the scorer, so if things break down, he's not going to be able to score like Jabari can, but in an ideal world, things aren't breaking down anyway, so I think you would want Turner on the floor in that role. It's just... Jabari with the starters makes less sense than Turner for me with the starters, because at least Turner can keep the ball moving. Turner can be a short-roll playmaker. Turner can be a, a playmaker out of the post and out of the elbows. Well, and for, and for me, it's, it's, for, for me, it's defense. Because well, sure, if you're, I mean, I mean that, that's, I mean, about offense, of course, but like the yeah. defense is going to be bad no matter what. So, well, I'm that's, sort but that, that's what I'm, that's kind of what I'm getting to. We, we got to get off Jabari. Um, but you know, that's honestly the bigger question for me. I am with you on all the offensive stuff, but this is very oversimplified. But at least with Evan Turner, you're putting a defensive player on the court to go along with the other four guys in your, in your starting lineup right now, or at least three of the four, your, your, your top three players. This is not controversial. Your your top three players are all better on offense than they are on defense. Now, even if you, even if you believe heavily in the defense of all three of them, which that's for <laughs> another time, even if you believe in those guys defensively long term, they are all better better on offense than defense, and they're all and they're always going to be better on offense than defense. I mean, I, I can't imagine a situation where any of them become better defenders than offensive players. So, and I think it's important that it's not like. It's not just that we're compare like just to compare offense and defense. Like they're so good offensively that even if yes. they were all three like above average defenders, they'd still be better offensively than defensively. And that's what so- I mean. I mean, it's it's worse because they're right now they're you know they're not they don't all have to be bad defenders. But none none of those three guys this season are going to be above average defenders. So if you were and Collins might get there, and we're going to talk about him, but like he this season only. Least- this season only, he could... I guess it's possible. I'm saying, if you're assuming right now, if you're projecting right now, you have to project all three of those guys as below, as below average defenders. And the fourth starter is DeAndre Hunter, who I love and always have loved, but he's going to be a rookie. So yeah. you can't assume that, you know, it's just all those things like you need, you need... If anything, you would want defense, and that's why you go Turner. Anyway, quickly before we get away from, from Jabari, I have two questions. They're both over-unders... One of them is minutes. His career low in minutes per game is 24. Over under for this year. Under. I agree. 
His career three point percentage is thirty four percent. Over thirty four percent, like thirty three point seven percent. Jeez, that's higher than I would have expected. But I guess if you never take threes, I agree. And it basically became it's, it's basically because the first two years he he didn't shoot them at all and shot badly, and then for two years in Milwaukee he actually shot a little bit more and did okay. Like 37%-ish. 34% on just whatever volume he shoots? Yep, and by the way, for his career, it's two attempts per game, 34%. Two attempts per game, Jesus Christ. Yeah, and and, well, to be a little bit fair, it's about three per game after his first two seasons in the league. So yeah, Yeah, 3.3 per game for the last three years. just looked at the last three years, it's 3.1 attempts per game. That makes a lot more sense because like those first two years, you can sort of... Like he wasn't. He just. It was, it, by, it was. By the way, it was Jason Kidd. Um, of course. Was, yeah. I mean. Yeah. We. Yeah. That. Uh, that certainly is something that you've brought up on this show like quite a few times. Is like Jason Kidd was his coach for a while, and it's so important. like he's his development was massively stunted. I'm saying by if, that. if you're gonna make if you're gonna make the pro Parker case, it absolutely has to include the fact that he will be coached now. And he will, he will be in a system that makes sense because that's the one thing. If you want to give Parker the benefit of the doubt, that is the easiest way to do it is that he has, I'm not kidding you. He's never been in a coherent basketball situation in college. He played with coach K and coach K is a recruiter, but it didn't really make a lot of sense what they were doing with him in college. Then he got to the pros and it was Jason Kidd and it was Joe Prunty, I think for a minute. And then it was Chicago and Washington last year. Like yeah, and like Jim Boylan was the head coach. Yeah, last year. it was Jim Boylan, and, and then it was Scott Brooks, but like a mess at the end. At the end yeah. of the season with Scott Brooks. I mean, Scott Brooks is a good coach, but like he's fine. But it was it was twenty five games, and you know whatever. Yeah, the team that he was on was not there for him. But like he, he was not bad for Washington down the end of the year. Like he yeah, was terrible. I mean, I'm, I'm trying like to be was... positive and say like if you, I, I actually believe this to a certain extent that. You know, it definitely won't hurt Parker to be coached by a real staff and be in a real culture and be a guy who is going to have to fit in. Like he can't just be. So I mean, if if you wanted to look at, like, if you, I mean, you were sort of. We talked about like we we talked about this a little bit earlier. Like you sort of threw out last year just because of how weird it was, and like really look back at 2016-17. But if you really just look at like the Washington stint. 25 games, yeah. career high true shooting, career high rebounding percentage, career high assist percentage. Like, I mean, career high turnovers as well, but like, okay, that's fine. Like, and he was you, still bad on defense, but like, you could see the player that he could defense. be there. You under, like, that was the first time he had a real NBA level coach. And all of a sudden, he put up career highs on a lot of these important areas. Career high oh, look. point rate as well <laughs> yeah. to go with that, you know? So, like, Maybe like you can make the argument that like he's going to be on a with a full time real NBA coach and a real NBA coaching staff in a real organization that actually sort of identifies and wants their guys to do the right things in terms of shooting threes and playing defense and understanding, you know, the, the modern NBA. There's an I would be I am receptive to the argument that there's upside in Jabari, and that's why he even now would be the guy who I would tab to be the backup power forward or the backup whatever. He would play in the rotation for me over a guy like Vince Carter, who you know what you're getting out of but doesn't have the same upside. Of course, the fact that Jabari has this player option makes it difficult for me to understand like how high his upside could be because if his upside is super high, he's going to walk away or you're going to have to pay to keep him. So like the contract is separate from that. But if, I mean, there's an argument for the contract, of course, is that like, Parker, if he pops, if he finally has the year where he goes, oh, okay, like this is how you play basketball for the first time since forever. He's never been like in a situation where it was like, yeah, this is how real pe- like this is how you're supposed to play basketball. And here's Trey Young, and here's Kevin Herter, and we're we're gonna, we're going to play the right way. He may come, he may pop out of that, and then come back to Atlanta because he goes like, hey, like I've been on three different other teams in over five years, and it's never worked out, and like now all of a sudden it's working, and so even though he might eat, like you could construct an argument that he would be able to to handle this and understand that, and and not just handle it, but come back after the season and go like this was the best situation I've ever been in since before high like all the way going back to high school, college, and the pros, I'm willing to come back to this team. And so maybe that's part of the upside of the contract. Obviously, 
you know, the fact that it's an option and not just a straight regular contract diminishes, diminishes that upside. Cause even though, even if you wanted to come back, you would have to pay him to come back. Like you're still going to have to pay the market rate for him <laughs> right. to come back. But the, there is some upside there just purely on the court. He is not, he's never been for a full season in a real system that actually made sense for him. And when he got to an actual real like above average NBA coach last year in Washington all of a sudden career highs in true shooting career highs in rebounding assist percentage three point rate all of a sudden he started to look like an actual like coherent NBA player who can play a role and and play that well so there is there are some positives here that go sort of beyond the fact like beyond what we've seen from him on the court just because of this the the situations he's been in yeah I mean and that's Honestly, why I think part of the annoyance that we have with the contract is that it takes up it takes so much of that upside away from the Hawks. Um, but that's the argument, of course, in favor of Jabari is that he is a really talented player. I'm going full circle on this from where I was a half hour ago, um, saying the same thing. But you know, he's a very talented player. He can really score. He can score. He's he has scored efficiently and productively at the NBA level. That's the one thing that he has done efficiently and productively at the NBA level is score. But he has done that. And he has a pedigree. He's really talented, and there is reason to believe that he can that he can buy in a little bit and be coached better. He's saying the right things, by the way, which is a small thing, but something that you at least have to say. You know, he he's definitely speaking in a way now in interviews and things like that. He talked to Casey Johnson on the way out at the way on the way out of Chicago, and uh, famously like didn't give any of the sort of bad quotes that he was giving before about how he wasn't paid to play defense, all that stuff. That seems to be gone at this point. I think he's gonna. I think he's ready to buy in. How much that works is up for debate. But Jabari is a talented guy who is still young, and uh, that would be the case on his behalf. It's just the fact that he's still really talented and can score, um, and hopefully buy in and be coached and all that fun stuff. Um, Jeff, we're going to go to part two, I think, to talk about John Collins, because we talked for over an hour about Vince Carter and Jabari Parker and Marcus Derrickson. Um, so that's that's my executive decision at this point in time. But I'm going to post both these post both of these together. So by the time you listen to this, part two will also be available to you. You can click over to that and uh, hopefully finish this conversation about power forwards. Anything else that you wanted to add on uh, Vince and Jabari before we go make the uh, John Collins podcast? No, I mean I think if we haven't hit on literally everything about Jabari Parker in the last like 45 minutes that we've like even the Vince Carter section, like I just basically went straight past Vince to to, to Jabari. So shout out to Vince though. Like ninety percent of this podcast has been Jabari Parker talk, so like there's not a whole lot left to say about it. Like obviously Vince is Vince is what he is. Like he, I think he's good. I think he's can help the team in his role right now. But Jabari's got that upside. They paid him a little more. Like they're going to to go that route with him. But you know I think all in all, like I'm still very down on the Jabari thing as a whole. I think it doesn't. He his skill set doesn't make a whole lot of sense with this team as constructed. The contract, of course, is one of the worst contracts given out this summer just from a pure value perspective, not necessarily from like a long-term damage perspective, but just from the value that you get from the guy that you signed. And it's not even that the the guy that you signed is somebody that I don't like. If you had signed somebody I really liked to a two-year, $13 million contract with a player option, like that also doesn't make a lot of sense. Like it's just (laughs) that specific contract, regardless of the player, that contract of two years with a player option for the second year is not like there's just so little value you get as a team from that contract, unless you are like a contender and you just need that guy for a short term. But obviously the Hawks are nowhere near contention. So that like that, the, the contract itself just doesn't make a ton of sense. Yep. And uh, that's enough of that for now. Uh, shouts to Vince Carter, shouts to Marcus Derrickson and uh, shouts to, J- to Jabari Parker for the content. And uh, we'll be <laughs> back um, very, very shortly. In fact, Jeff and I are just going to keep talking, but uh, subscribe to this podcast and flip over to part two. We'll see you uh, in just a few seconds.